Hey, good morning again. Great to have you guys. This is a continuing series uh, called Fighting with Family. This is part three, and if you are just joining us, I highly encourage you to go by our YouTube channel and check out part one and two. And so hopefully we'll answer some questions maybe in parts one or two that we're unable to answer today. Today's going to be a little bit different than normal and in that I'm going to get as practical as I possibly can. We're going to be talking about somewhat of a, a tense subject matter today. We're going to talk about something that might even make you feel a little bit uncomfortable as we get into some of the tension that happens within family units. And what I want to do is I want to reach kind of in the abstract world and bring it down to make it as concrete and as practical as possible. So when you leave here today, you will have a handle that you'll be able to carry some of these principles, carry some of these ideas, carry some of these truths home, and begin to put them in practice, all right? Now, we kicked off, as I mentioned, this series a couple of weeks ago, and when we did, I just casually mentioned at the front of the message that I've probably officiated well over a hundred weddings throughout my career. In fact, Lana and I had the honor last weekend of officiating a wedding. Jason Monahan filled in for me because we were gone and we're able to uh, unite Lynn Warren and Dave Lundahl last week in uh, marriage in Wake Forest, and it was a beautiful wedding. In fact, if you guys happen to be watching Lynn and Dave, thank you for allowing us to participate. It was an awesome wedding, and we just enjoyed uh, being there. But the reason I say that is because I sit down to prepare the weddings the ceremony, putting the notes together and all the different things. And I have been tempted on numerous occasions to change the whole thing up. And how I thought about changing it up is instead of having the bride and groom come out and say, I do, we would certainly do that. But then at some point in the ceremony, I would have both sides of the family come out, uh, the groom's side and the bride's side, and face one another. And then I would ask them, hey, do all y'all take all y'all and do all y'all take all y'all? Because I have learned over time that when you marry, it is not only the couple exchanging vows, but also families joining together. It is mothers and fathers, it is sisters and brothers. And if the couple has been married before and have children, it is even more important to realize that we are joining together established families. And when you put together entire family units, you create tension. Now, unfortunately, most newlywed couples believe they are the exception. They think when they get married, hey, you know what? We're going to be our own family. We will establish our own traditions, values, and ways of doing life. And our parents, our cousins, our siblings will not influence what we do. Or if they don't consider themselves exceptions, they see themselves as being unable to do anything about the influence from both sides. So they're like, yeah, you know, what do you do? You got to do what you got to do. Well, neither is true. You are neither the exception nor the victim. As a couple, and I want to say this at the very beginning as we dive into this, as a couple, you are a collection of the beautiful and ugly traits and values of your mom and dad, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, friends and neighbors, and it even extends beyond your family. You are a conglomerate of teachers and coaches and movies and books and churches and clubs, people you've dated, people you've hated, websites you've visited, dates you've accepted and rejected. You are a combination of every conversation you've had, every sermon you've listened to, every book you've read, every joke, every movie, every kiss, every sexual experience, every job, everything has influenced and altered you ever so slightly. That's who you are. So your family, including all your weird cousins, has affected you. 
So it is impossible to escape their pull and their influence in your life. That's not a bad thing. It's just understanding that's the reality. Of course, we cannot address all relationships and how all the dynamics of a family that creates tension, what we can do about it, but we can zero in on one particular family dynamic. That's what we've been doing uh, throughout this series. Two weeks ago, as we kicked it off, we just kind of gave one overall principle, and that is love, the importance of love within all family dynamics, within all family tension. Then last week, Jason came and talked about the importance between a child and their parents, especially if you are an adult. How do you deal with your parents? if you're not getting along with your parents. And today we're going to broaden that out a little bit, and I'm going to talk to you about how do you deal with the tension that becomes or is often present within families when you deal with in-laws. And there's a, a, a group sigh that kind of comes across us all. In-laws, great. Now listen, I chose to discuss in-laws because throughout the years I've sat in my office on numerous occasions, had husbands and wives come in, couples who were dating and looking at getting married, and over and over again I have heard about the tension existing between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law or a father-in-law and a son-in-law or a potential mother and father-in-law, and they've come in with questions and they said, what do I do? This is so difficult. I love him, but I do not get along with his mother. I love her, but I'm just having a tough time with her dad. They're constantly getting involved in our lives. Their opinions are always, you know, forthcoming. And I don't know what to do with her. She is so condescending. He is so sarcastic. I'm not sure what to do with him. On and on it goes. And I've tried my best over the years to give some wisdom, to give some truth, and to help kind of calm that down. So I thought, you know what? During this series, let's just dive in together. Let's talk about the tension that exists within a family when we bring the in-laws and the tension that sometimes exists within them. So let's just go for it, okay? Dr. Susan Forward in her book, Toxic In-Laws. Now, if you've got major issues with your in-laws, we're not going to have time to get into all of it today, but I highly encourage you to read Dr. Susan Forward's book, Toxic In-Laws. She will get into a lot more things than I can give here, but in her book, she talks about seven myths that we believe about in-laws. I'm going to give these to you quickly. We're going to put them on the screen for you. If you want to take notes, write these down. Here are the seven myths she gives. Number one, things will get better after we're married. Maybe, maybe not. If your in-laws did not warm up to you during the dating years, there are a, there's a really high chance they're not necessarily going to warm up to you simply because time passes. Cakes and candles and dresses are beautiful accents to a wedding ceremony, but they are not magic. And they do not transform your mother-in-law from someone who doesn't like you into someone who thinks you're wonderful simply because you walked down an aisle and said, I do, with her, hus with her son. Myth number two, things will get better after they get to know me. Time alone never wins people over. Faking it until making it won't either. If there are issues today and you don't deal with those issues, you don't learn how to deal with those issues, a year from today, guess what? You'll just be a year older with the same problems. Myth number three, things will get better once I have a baby. How many of you know babies solve all problems? Anybody? Anybody know oh, babies solve all problems? You got marital problems? Have a baby, right? Right. Got in-law problems? Have a baby. Financial problems? Just have a baby. Just whatever you want to do, have a baby. They solve all things, right? Wrong. What makes you think a baby whom the in-laws love will make them love you? They can love the baby and not love you, okay? I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen parents be loving and kind and gentle with their grandchildren, but rude and condescending to their daughter-in-law, the one who brought the bundle of joy into the world. 
I've seen it many times. Number four, if I do what they want, they will like me. Trying to please your in-laws in an effort to get them to like you will work in the short run, but rarely long term. Plus, putting on a mask and doing what they ask you to do, hopeful that they will begin to like you, is tiring, exhausting. How long are you going to fake it? How long are you going to keep the smile up? How long are you going to play the game? Stop playing the game. Number five, they're not my parents, so how much can they bother me? <laughs> a lot. Especially if your brother, uh, if, if they bother, excuse me, especially if they bother your spouse. Because you love your spouse and your spouse loves his or her parents, then your in-laws can bring a lot of pain to you through your husband or wife. And because they are authority figures, they, what they say weighs a lot, so they can make one statement at a dinner and cut you to heart. Don't be naive. Number six, they live in another state, so we won't have to deal with them very much. Distance is nothing in our world today. We carry the ability to stay connected 24-7, calling, texting, Facebooking, instant messaging, Instagram, Zoom, email, etc. Your in-laws might live in another part of the world, but in a matter of seconds can reach into yours. And number seven, my partner will put me first. True, until it comes time for him or her to deal with his parents or her parents. It is extremely difficult to place true priority on you if you are in competition with your spouse's parents. Maybe eventually that will be true after years of marriage, but even then it is difficult. As the adage goes, blood is thicker than water, and it's thicker than a marriage license, okay? Just keep that in mind. These are the seven myths that she goes into in much more detail. Let me give you a reality here, okay? Reality check. If you have tension with your in-laws, keep a few things in mind, all right? First of all, you chose your spouse, and your spouse chose you. They inherited you, the in-laws. They didn't necessarily choose you. They received you because their daughter or their son chose you. There is a built-in understanding that your spouse will compromise for you. Your in-laws have never made that kind of commitment. Your spouse promised to love you, support you, care for you. Your in-laws made no kind of promise. Often, you, they, you are seen as an interruption into their lives, a necessary stowaway, if you will. Another child they didn't choose, but they received. When you have a wonderful relationship with your in-laws, life is good. You have new parents, you have more wisdom, you have more love, you have more care, you have more support. But when you have a strained relationship, it is difficult. You have people in and out of your life you don't necessarily want, but you got. All right? So when there is tension there, just keep those things in mind. They are trying also to understand you and process who you are coming into their life, marrying their son, marrying their daughter, and they're trying to figure all this out too. So just as much as it's stressful for you, it is often stressful for them. Now here's what some of you are thinking, and then we're going to jump into some scripture, okay? Here's what some of you are thinking. Well, I'm single, Scott, so I really don't need this message. Uh, I don't have in-laws. So this message is for people who have strained relationships with their in-laws. I don't even have in-laws in my life. Others of you are thinking, you know what, I got good in-laws. I've got a wonderful relationship with my mother-in-law. I've got a wonderful relationship with my father-in-law. They're like parents to me, so I really don't need this message. Others of you are thinking, you know what, we're older. Uh, our parents-in-law have passed on, or they're much older than we are, 
and they don't really cause any issues in our lives, so this message is not for me. Listen, this message today is actually not about in-laws as much as it is about difficult relationships, all right? I'm framing it in in-laws. We're talking about it specifically in in-laws, but it's about difficult relationships. I am providing specific help with in-laws, but you can extract the wisdom and you can apply it to any and all challenging relationships. So those of you who were thinking, well, this message is not really for me, let me just ask you this. Do you have a challenging relationship in your life? Anybody have a challenging relationship in your life? It's okay to lift your hand. All right, thank you, thank you. I see those hands. We all have at least one. And I know that I can always use wisdom on what to do with this particular person or this particular relationship. Now let me make this one statement before we really jump in and dive into some truth here. Next week, Lan and I will celebrate our 31st wedding anniversary. Three kids, two grandchildren. All right, the reason I say that is not for you to whistle or clap or applaud or think that's awesome, okay? The reason I say that is because every single thing in this message, I've messed up many times, all right? Every single thing I'm going to tell you, I have either done it wrongly, the very things I'm going to say, don't do this and instead do this, I'm saying it not only because I've learned it, but because I've lived it, all right? I assure you, over 31 years of marriage, there have been many tears. Over 31 years of marriage, we've had arguments. Over 31 years of marriage, we've had strain in our family. 31 years of marriage and three children and two grandchildren, we've had all kinds of issues. So I am not standing before you as one who has figured all this out because I've just lived it all my life and I'm just here on the stage just looking down at all the poor people who struggle, okay? That's not at all, all right? I'm only up here so you can see me, but the truth is I'm, I'm right there with you. And I have failed in every area, and I've had to repent in every single area, okay? I just want you to know that before we get into this message, all right? Okay, now before we get some real practical wisdom and put some handles on things, I want to give you some passages of Scripture. Some of you are thinking, it's about time he read the Bible, okay? Let me give you three passages of Scripture, all right? First one is Matthew 5, 37. Jesus is speaking and says this. This is so practical. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. It's a very poetic way of saying this. Listen, when you speak, speak with complete and total honesty. Be the kind of person when you say, I will do this, you can count on me. You don't need to swear by anything. You don't need to sign your name to a contract. You don't need to give a deposit. Now, of course, we live in a world where those things are required, and we have to live in this world, and we have to do the things that are necessary. But Jesus is saying that we ought to be the kind of person that when we say we're going to do something, we do it. And everyone will look at your word as equal to a contract. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything other than that comes from a dishonest place. That's what he's saying. This is about being a person of integrity. This is about being the kind of person who speaks not out of both sides of his or her mouth, but speaks forthrightly, speaks honestly, speaks with integrity. Just keep that in mind because I'm going to draw a principle out of that in a moment. Matthew 5 is the second one. Same chapter, just a few verses up. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. Watch this. First, make things right with your brother or sister, then come back and offer your gift. What is he saying? He's saying relationships, healthy relationships are premium. 
A healthy, positive, wholesome relationship is better than just about anything else. I have learned that over my lifetime. It has become more and more important to me to have good relationships than almost anything else I do in my life. In fact, Christ says that this is about, not re- is about refusing to have fake relationships. If there's a problem in the relationship, go fix it. Go out of your way to heal it. Go out of your way to repair it. Go out of your way to mend it. Healthy relationships are so important that you and I to stop doing whatever we're doing, no matter what it is, and go make the relationship right. In fact, Jesus is saying God prefers good relationships over good singing. He prefers good relationships over good praying. He prefers good relationships over good preaching. He prefers good relationships over a good church service. In fact, if you are in the middle of a church service and you remember someone that you have a real problem with and you've never dealt with it, just stop everything you're doing and go make it right and then come back because the relationship is more important than any of the religious stuff you're doing. That's the second principle that I'm going to draw from. And then John 13, on the night Jesus was betrayed... He gathered his disciples together and had them sit down. And you know what he did? He washed their feet. That's powerful. So what does that say to us? It says when it comes to people, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to the people closest to you, don't wait to be served. You go first. You serve first. You lead by example. You be the first to humble yourself and show love even to your enemy. So here's what I've done. I've taken those three scriptures and just kind of brought them down to three very simple requirements for healthy relationships, and then we're going to break the first one down. We're not going to get into the other two. We're going to break the first one down for you today, okay? Three requirements of healthy relationships. Give them to you real fast, and then we'll back up to the first one. Number one, this is one we're going to spend time on, speak with integrity. Let your yes be yes or your no, no. The second one is fix what's broken. Leave the church service if you have to. Go make it right. And the third one is lead by serving. Lead by serving. Okay? Now, let's take a look at the first one, the speak with integrity. It's all we've got time for today. All right? I want to break it down and apply it to difficult relationships, especially in-laws. All right? Speak with integrity. I'm going to give you three principles. Okay? If you're writing these down, we'll put them on the screen. You can write these down in notes. Number one, set boundaries. When it comes to speaking with integrity in any and all difficult relationships, one of the things you're going to have to learn how to do is you're going to have to learn how to set very clear boundaries with other people. Let me define that for you. This is something that I've had to learn over time, okay? Let me just back up for just a moment, get away from my notes here and back up just a moment. I have always been the kind of person that if you want to be my friend, that I'm just like all in. Like, let's be friends. You know, let's just, let's just be close. You know, let's just hang together. Let's get to know one another. Um, I tell you all about, you know, my life. I expect you to tell me all about your life. Um, you know, I'll just, I'm so forthright in some things and so forward in a lot of things that I'm probably overwhelming to some people. I love to debate. I love to read. I love to talk. I have opinions. I have ideas. I have all kinds of things, and that can be overwhelming for some people. And other people, because I love them, I've allowed them to come into my life, and I didn't put boundaries up, and I've allowed them to hurt me, and I no doubt have hurt them. 
So I have learned, this is what I'm talking about, every single thing in this message, I have had to learn the importance of emotional and psychological and spiritual boundaries in my life. Now let me explain what a boundary is. Boundaries define limits. These are emotional and psychological borders in my life. You may come this far, but no further. We are surrounded by boundaries all the time and we don't even see them. A fence is a boundary. That's my yard. You can come up to the, to the fence, but you need permission to come inside the fence. That's a simple boundary. Hardly anybody ever questions that. A wall is a boundary. You can come to my porch, but you can't come across the wall. That's a boundary. This is my home. This is where I live. That's a boundary. I'll invite you to come through the door, which is another boundary. Then when you come in my house, there's other boundaries inside my house. Then there's a bedroom boundary. There's a bathroom boundary. You can come this far, but no further. See, all of those boundaries we allow to exist in our world, and we think nothing of it. Then when you start talking about emotional boundaries, psychological boundaries, spiritual boundaries, uh, that seems like awkward. We don't want to say that. We want people to come in and out of our psychological life, our spiritual life, our emotional life without any permission granted. We've got to learn to put boundaries in place. Here's an example. I don't know about you, but um, if someone is talking to me, I have a certain bubble around me. And if you cross that bubble, I just kind of back up. Does anybody have that? I've gone to other countries, and they will stand right here. I mean, right in your face, and they're talking to you. And I'm just kind of like trying to move around. We all have that kind of boundary around us. Get, get in my space, and I'm going to back up a little bit. Get in my space, and I'm going to feel a little awkward. That's a personal boundary. It's a physical boundary. But what about emotional boundaries? What about psychological boundaries? What about spiritual boundaries? You see, we all have clearly defined physical boundaries, but we often do not have clearly defined emotional, spiritual, psychological. Now, what about emotional boundaries? Some of you have none or very little. You allow your mother-in-law, and you can take out mother-in-law and insert friend. You can take out father-in-law and insert cousin. You can take out any of these names and insert whatever it is in your life that bothers you, that hurts you, that wounds your relationship, all right? Some of us have very little boundaries. You allow your mother-in-law to say whatever she wants to say, whenever she wants to say it. It hurts, it wounds, it angers, it damages. It may damage you, it may damage your spouse, it may damage your children, and you have never walked behind the boundary because you didn't know it was okay to do so. And I'm giving you permission today to not only erect a boundary, but hold that boundary firm. Well, Scott, how do I go about doing that? Once you establish a boundary, that's a whole other teaching, but just this is a general overview. Once you establish the boundary, the second thing is you've got to speak clearly. In other words, communicate crystal clear to your family, to your friend, to your mother-in-law, to your father-in-law, to your cousin, whatever it is. Most of us are not crystal clear. We think we are. We like to imagine we are, but most of us are far from being clear. Now, being clear is not being rude, all right? Being clear is not being disrespectful. Being clear is not being loud. Being clear is about communicating what you mean and communicating in such a way that no rational person can mistake it. What I find interesting is that a fence is crystal clear. There it is. 
A wall is crystal clear. There it is. A doorway is crystal clear. There it is. But sometimes in our emotional and psychological and spiritual boundaries, very fuzzy, have no idea where they are. And we've got to become extremely clear. Let me help you. Here are some examples that we think are clear but aren't very clear. All right? Some of these you're going to be able to relate to. I've even said some of these or at least close to them. All right? Let's say some of you are going through some real tough times with your family, cousins, sisters, brothers, and you're going to the beach together. All right? And you're like, um, I don't know, this is going to be a tough vacation. I seem to always argue with your mom. I seem to always argue with your sister. I seem to always argue with your dad. I'm just really dreading this week together. We always fight. There's always tension. I just don't know that I want to do this together. And then we say something like this. I want us all to get along when we go to the beach this summer. I really need some peace. I can't take any arguing. And we think we've been clear. That's not clear. That's very fuzzy. Or we say something like this. Well, I just need some space. Your mother is getting on my last nerve. And we think we've been clear. It's not clear. It's fuzzy. Or we'll say something like this. Why is your father such a know-it-all? And we think we've been clear, but we've been fuzzy. Let me help you get really clear. You've got to establish the boundaries and then say things like this. Honey, I, I am willing to spend time with your family at the beach this summer. I love them. I want us to have a wonderful time. Here's, here's the clarity. But I am not willing to be insulted or demeaned by your mother. Line, firm boundary, this is what I mean. Now you've got something to talk about. Now you've brought the truth to the front. Here's another one. I'm willing to have an honest conversation with your sisters, but I am unwilling to ignore major issues in our family we pretend aren't there. I'm willing to talk about them, but I am unwilling to ignore them. We've got to talk. See, some of you are so nervous right now. I just I don't think I could ever say that. I, I just don't think I could ever be that clear because we're not clear. We're fuzzy, and we never get to the truth. Here's another example. I am willing to listen and respect your father's opinion, but I am unwilling for him to interfere in how we raise our children. <laughs> Clarity. Clarity. Focus on the situation in front of you and be crystal clear. No one should wonder what you said or where you've placed your boundaries. The last one is stop defending. Folks, if there has ever been one that I struggle with the most, this is it. I can speak clearly. I can, I can cut through the fluff. I can get to the heart, okay? I do this for a living, all right? So I know how to speak clearly. My struggle is defending because I do it all the time. I am quick to argue. I am quick to lay out my opinion. I am quick to tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right. Okay, this is probably the most difficult of the three. No one likes to be pushed in a corner, ridiculed, disagreed with, antagonized. And we are tempted to defend our points, agree, you know, uh, uh, tempted to uh, defend our points, argue with the person, and lay the person flat. And you feel it physically. Your heart pounds, butterflies get in your stomach, anxiety rises, you feel embarrassed, you feel angry, you're insulted, and you want to prove your point. Well, as much as you want to, Refuse to defend yourself rather than saying things like this. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you what I really think. 
all right? You say things like this. You know what? That's interesting, and I'm going to have to think about that. You're not defending. You're very clear. You know what? You're entitled to your opinion. That's your opinion. Thank you. And if it's really heated, hey, I'm happy to speak with you when you calm down. Very, very clear. Maintain control and refuse to offend. Defend. Now, folks, I'm a church person. I've been raised in church all my life, okay? Some of you are thinking right now, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with the Bible? I, I, I don't want to come here. I, let me put it this way. One of the things that I, I take very seriously is our mission at Forest Park. And our mission at Forest Park says simply this, help people follow Jesus one step at a time. I don't want you to come here and merely feel something. I want you to come here and learn something. I want you to walk away from here every single Sunday morning and not only have felt excited or felt hopeful, but be able to walk out of here with something you can put in your life to learn what it means to follow Jesus in the nitty-gritty details of your life. And here's what I've learned pastoring for 30 years. We can come into a church service like this. We can sing our favorite songs. We can lift our hands. We can feel wonderful. We can have tears running down our face during the worship time, walk out of here, get in the car, and are unable to control our tongue with our spouse on the way home. Because we have no idea how to communicate properly. We have no idea what to do when it comes down to actually living out the scriptures in our day-to-day life. Let me show you what I mean. Here are a few passages of scriptures. Paul says this in Galatians 5, 23. He says that the fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, folks, you can, let me that that verse, uh, uh, that Uh, screen, Jay. Outgrowth of spirit is self-control. A fruit of the spirit is self-control. You can look that up in the original language in the Greek. You can study it in lexicons and dictionaries. You can go to articles online to figure out what self-control means. You can do anything you want to. I'm going to save you hours of research. Self-control means the ability to control yourself. Part of what it means to follow Jesus is the ability to control your emotions. Control your tongue. James tells us very clearly that the tongue will set a whole field on fire. How many times have you said things that you wish you could immediately put back into your mouth, but you can't because it's already gone? Part of what it means to follow Jesus is the ability to control your mouth, control your emotions, control your opinions, control all the different things around you. Second verse. When Jesus was ridiculed, when he was mocked, when he was insulted, the scriptures record he did not open his mouth. There were times when Jesus spoke, and there were times when Jesus was silent. Do you know what it means to be followers of Jesus? It means having the ability to control yourself and knowing when to talk and when to be quiet. And when you are in a conversation with a family member or a friend or a colleague or whoever it is, And in that moment, you want to say what you want to say because you think you're right. If you are being led by the Spirit, you will know in that moment whether you should speak or whether you should be quiet. 
How many times do you wish when you were 25, you knew what you know now at 55? You wouldn't have said some of those things. Some of you are 35 looking back at 25. Some of you are 25 looking back at 15, right? We learn as we get older, hopefully. Some of us don't, all right? Some of us are just 60-year-old, 16-year-olds, I think. He did not open his mouth, know when to talk, know when not to talk, when to speak, and when to be completely quiet. And then the last one I want to give you is one I want to read to you, Proverbs 26, verse 4, and then verse 5. Look, let's listen to this wisdom, Proverbs 26, 4. Don't answer fools according to their folly, or you will become like them yourself. Let me put that in context. When someone posts something on Facebook and everything inside of you wants to argue with them, don't do it because you will become just as much of a fool as they are. That's harsh, isn't it? That's exactly what that says. So sometimes when your father-in-law says something to you or your mother-in-law or your parent or your friend or your cousin and they're acting foolish, and you just want to get into the argument. Self-control. Not even Jesus defended himself all the time. He was quiet. Don't get into an argument with a fool, or you'll become a fool. Now you want to say, yeah, but, 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 okay, let me read you the next verse. Verse 5. Answer fools according to their folly, or they will deem themselves wise. Now you say, wait a minute. The first verse says not to answer a fool. The second verse says answer a fool. The first one says if you answer a fool, you'll become foolish. The second one says if you don't answer a fool, they'll think they're wise. What do we do? you got to know when to talk and when to shut up. There are some situations when a fool tries to pull you into an argument and you got to say, you know what, now is when I need to be quiet. You self-control and not say anything because if I say something, it's going to make the situation worse. There are other times when someone says something in that moment, you had better open your mouth and correct the information. You had better give the right information in the right moment with the right spirit. If you don't, that person's going to walk away thinking that they're wise when the reality is they're fool and you might save them some pain too. So how do we know what to do? It's what it means to follow the Spirit. It's what it means to be a wise person. It's what it means to glean information and knowledge and truth and be able to apply it in the right moment and the right way. So you have to know the situation and how best to respond. So the three points that I've given you today, set boundaries, speak clearly, and stop defending, those principles are found all through Scripture. They might not sound too spiritual. They might not make everybody hoop and holler. They might not make everybody have chill bumps. They might not even make you feel like you heard a sermon. But the reality is we struggle in these areas a whole lot more than we struggle in a lot of other areas, and we don't know what to do with our in-laws. We don't know what to do with our cousins. We don't know what to do with our friends. We don't because we don't take the time to see the truth that is outlined in Scripture for us. So two questions and we're gone. First question is, what relationship is difficult for you right now? What? Is it a mother-in-law? Is it a father-in-law? Is it a sister-in-law? Is it a cousin-in-law? I don't even know if that's a term. Is it a friend? Is it a colleague? Is it someone you work with? Someone you live with? Someone you live beside? What is the relationship right now that's really difficult? 
And what do you need to do? Is there a boundary that you need to establish? Because it's okay to put a boundary. We all live with boundaries. We have fences, we have walls, we have doors, we have seat belts, we have doors that we close on our car, we put clothes on, we put boots on and shoes. All of those are boundaries to keep the elements out and to protect us. What's wrong with putting a boundary around your heart at times? Your mind. Because I'm going to tell you, it is much easier for a wound on the hand to heal than a wound on the soul. And there are some of us that we look fine on the outside, but we're allowing someone in our life to hurt us. And folks, I'm going to tell you this, okay? It's possible. There are some of you sitting here, and the person who's hurting you the most is the person you're married to. Now, I don't know if that's the case, and I'm certainly not trying to stir up any issues, but it's possible. You may be here today single. What I mean single is you're married, but you're by yourself today, and you've got a situation at home that's really, I'm not trying to stir up any emotions in you, but I do want to open your heart to say, you know what, and your mind to say, you know what, maybe I need to put a boundary in place that I've just not had the courage to do. I want to give you permission to do that. And I want to give you permission to not only put a boundary, but to be clear, clear, clear. You deserve it. You deserve it. You are loved and you are worthy and you deserve to speak and communicate your heart, your passion, your dreams, your emotions, and who you are crystal clear. And you don't have to defend yourself all the time. And I'm going to pray for you and with you that God will give you the courage, the boldness, the wisdom to know when to speak, when not to speak, how to answer a fool and how not to, and to put those boundaries in place so that you can start walking more free. Let's pray. Father, today we have been so very practical in the teaching. And my heart and my desire is for marriages to be good and healthy. My heart and my desire is for our communities to be filled with people who love one another, serve one another, care for one another. But we also put boundaries in place to protect ourselves and to protect our children, protect our husbands, protect our wives. Father, you have given so much information, so much truth throughout Scripture that if we would just heed what we see, what we know, our lives would be radically changed. There are times that we need to open our mouth and say something. There are times we need to close our mouth and maintain control. Father, there are boundaries that we need to erect and put firmly in place. And maybe there's some fences we need to take down and trust more. Father, we don't know what to do in all situations, but we believe you can speak to us and through us and guide us to do the right thing. If there's anything we need in our world today, it is wisdom. We are inundated with knowledge. We are constantly given information. It's everywhere, even in our fingertips. We can look it up on our phones. We can search for it on our computers. But God, what we need in our world today is wisdom how to apply that information in the right moment, at the right time, with the right spirit. And we're going to need you to help guide us to do that. Father, help us become the people you've called us to be. And may what marks our life more than anything is not a building, it's not music, it's not lights, it's not a full parking lot or a bunch of people in seats. But may what marks us more than anything is our love one for another. And may our relationships be healthy. And we thank you 
And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hope you guys have a wonderful day.